where we take a look at events that have had an element of mystery, confusion or misrepresentation and uh, this episode has plenty of all three. My name is Matt Hartless, I'm a musician and journalist. My name's AJ Hill, I am a comedian and idiot. And uh, also a, a budding civil servant now. Yeah, we're, Actually, we're both. We're both. We can't say that for Canelo if they listen to it. We're we're both, we're both. Um, we're both. We're both. Servants. We're both. Yeah, we both work for the government, folks. So you can't trust us. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Fucking hell! If there's any, I bet your housemates gonna listen to this and just go, "Man, they're all in on it." <laughs> yeah, we're definitely all in on it. <laughs> so uh, anyway, this week we're we're going to talk about MH370, the only flight I think that. In, in the history of, of, of air travel, where as soon as you say the flight number, everyone knows what you're talking about. I think there have been a, another couple of famous ones. I think United 93, because there was the film made about it. It was one of the 9-11 ones. Or the Wright Brother, number one. Like, number, <laughs> yeah, one. number one. <laughs> yeah, that's true. This is Matt from The Edit. At this point, I asked Day to give us a brief overview of MH370, but he went on for 10 minutes describing in quite fine detail everything that happened, which I felt was perhaps a bit over the top. All I was really looking for was MH370 was a flight that was supposed to go from Kuala Lumpur to Beijing, but it vanished halfway through. Uh, and as time went on, it transpired that it had been probably deliberately flown off course to crash somewhere in the southern Indian Ocean. Back to the live room. I'm going to go deep into this now. Excellent. Uh, so, how, I'm, how deep, Matthew? Well, um, yeah, I'm balls deep. Um... I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna go through this chronologically. So yeah, like like you said, it was a Boeing triple seven 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 seven. However you say that, flying from Kuala Lumpur to Beijing. Either is acceptable. Yeah, <laughs> I just couldn't be bothered to say seven three times, and then I did it anyway. Um, so yeah, on the eighth of March, twenty fourteen, at forty two minutes past midnight, it was cleared for takeoff uh, with the captain Zahari Ahmed Shah. And the first officer, Farik Abdul Hamid, they were in charge of the airplane. They were flying it. So there was the captain, uh, Captain Shah, he was 53. First officer Hamid was 27. Uh, and in a sort of twist of irony, this was, it, like you referred to earlier, he was about to get married. But also, this was to be his final training flight. Captain Shah was kind of... Uh, not examining him it wasn't like a it wasn't like a test but basically he was supposed to after the flight was completed recommend him for well he was an exceptionally experienced pilot wasn't he yeah yeah he he was an exceptionally experienced pilot and he was essentially this was going to be the final flight for first officer Hamid being on whatever gradation he was uh, to to the point where he could then take over flights on his own He, he, he could then be a captain of a flight after this flight was completed. And sadly, it was his final flight. Mm. In addition to those two people, there were also 10 cabin crew and 227 passengers, 153 of which were Chinese, 38 were Malaysians, and the 12 other passengers, they were from other countries. There were a couple of Australians. I think it was somebody from the Netherlands. Uh, but yeah, they just a handful of passengers from, from other countries. At 1.19am... 
Uh, this is Malaysian time. All, all mm-hmm. the times I'll be quoting a Malaysian time, by the way. Okay. Kuala Lumpur time. Um, so th- this is when um, they last made contact. Now, this is the first sort of sign of something a little strange, is that they confirmed the altitude, which was not something that, that they needed to do. It's, it's basically, so they, they got to... They confirmed they were at 35,000 feet. Yeah, they, got, they confirmed they were at 35,000 feet, but they already, they'd already reached it. They were just saying, we're still, we're still flying at 35,000 feet. We're still there, which you can't really infer anything from that, but it is strange that they did that because that was not something they needed to do. I mean, I suppose... Was that, that the co-pilot be. doing it, though? Um, it's, it's unclear. I mean... The, the, because if it's the co-pilot doing it, it just means chance, he might just be a bit nervous about his final flight yeah, before becoming yeah, yeah, fully no, that's, that's, fledged that, pilot. That's entirely possible. It might just be a red herring. So yeah, they so at one nineteen they they confirmed the the altitude, uh, and then we're told that they were going to be passed to Ho Chi Minh City, mm-hmm. to which um, co-pilot Farouk Abdul Hamid uh, replied, acknowledging that he'd understood and saying the now famous goodnight Malaysian three seventy. Um, he was actually supposed to quote the, the frequency that he was supposed to sign on to for Ho Chi Minh City and mm-hmm. didn't um, but this might have just been a mistake rather than again if if, if it was Hamid who was who was fl- uh, who, who was flying and he was being tested and he was a bit nervous he might have just forgotten to say yeah, the frequency you, it's, um, it's the kind of thing like we've all done exams and like yeah. we've all done sort of things that are meant to be like if you do this then you're going to pass and that's the you know we've all done job interviews essentially it's a job yeah. practical exam isn't it so yeah it's, it's basically the equivalent of showing you're working. Like if you know yeah, the exactly. answer, you don't feel like you need to show you're working. Yeah. And you might forget. So we can we can forgive him, but yes, so, interesting nonetheless. Yeah, at twenty two minutes past one, the flight disappears from radar screens. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, what you need to know about air travel, uh, co- commercial air travel, is that there are two different ways in which it can appear on radar screens. There's primary and secondary. Um, primary radar is what the military use. Um, that's just based on reflectance. So it's um, kind of echolocation kind of thing. Mm-hmm. You send a signal out, you measure the time it takes to, to, to be reflected to you, and then you can tell how far away that thing is from you. Then there's secondary radar, which is what commercial flights use. Uh, and that's that's assessed by the transponders on on the plane. So they will they will send more detailed information uh, as to exactly where they are and exactly their flight path and what they're doing. Right. It was secondary radar that MHD-70 disappeared from. Okay. That was the transponder which sends that information. That was turned off. Now, so in Ho Chi Minh City, mm-hmm. they were expecting MH370 to contact them and instead they just vanished uh, from it, their and radar. It, and I know that it took them about 20 minutes to, it, to it, sort it, of It took them 18. It took them 18, 18. minutes. Now, um, protocol in... In, in this circumstance, okay. says that they should have let the previous air traffic control, they should have let them know within five minutes. Five minutes? Five minutes, yeah. So do, do we know what caused the delay? <clears throat> Incompetence, basically. Incom- um, not, not, not that I'm saying that the, the people who work at air traffic control in Ho Chi Minh City are incompetent, but they they just didn't follow protocol. They didn't, they didn't know what was happening, didn't know how serious it was, and were just a bit confused, and so neglected to tell... Kuala Lumpur air control for a while just because they weren't sure if, if anything was bad or not. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's that's kind of the first point at which mistakes from people on the ground have led to this being an even greater mystery. Mm-hmm. Um, this is when they're starting to realise there's something seriously wrong here. This plane has just vanished. So, um, 
Do you remember in 2009, do you remember Air France Flight 447? I Asia? do remember that, yes. Yeah, I I remember it because it was around the same time that Lost was on the TV and yeah. it was it was very much like like Lost. Basically what happened was um, this, this particular flight was a flight from Rio de Janeiro uh, in Brazil to Paris in France. But I mean, those are the obvious locations for those cities. Um, yeah, but basically, it, it, over the Atlantic Ocean, it flew into a, a thunderstorm and didn't come out the other side. Okay. Uh, and, and because the Atlantic Ocean is quite big and there aren't much in the way of islands in between, sure. uh, they weren't on any sort of radar because there's nothing there to do that kind of check. So mm-hmm. it was just, well, you know, we'll see when you get towards Europe. It actually took two years to find the wreckage of that crash, even though they like they, they started finding debris fairly soon afterwards so they could confirm that it had crashed into the ocean. But... Yeah, they they found the, the 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 full wreckage of the plane two years later with the 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 black boxes. Was the fuselage completely intact? The fuselage was more or less intact. Yeah, mm-hmm. because what had happened was that the so they they've been flying into in into the storm cloud. The pilots, some of whom were a little inexperienced, and the 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 captain of the flight had gone to like have a have a have a sleep. Which, which, which the is captain, yeah, they, they do do that. <laughs> yeah. It sounds terrifying, doesn't it? The yeah. captain's just gone for a sleep. Well, the driver's just had a nap. Yeah. yeah. Michael Knight from Knight Rider, which if you're my age, that makes perfect sense. And if you're not, it's an 80s TV show where the, the guy had a car, which uh, he could fall asleep with uh, while it drove himself. Kit was the onboard yeah, computer. Yeah. Basically, all planes have a kit on board um, that can like fly yeah. the plane without you actually, you know. Exactly. Yeah. So autopilot. Much. Autopilot. Yeah. That's what. It's so the the two remaining pilots of, mm-hmm. of of this Air France flight didn't need to do anything, but because of the because of the thunderstorm, because of the the turbulence, they kept flying the plane, um, and it turned out what had happened was that they'd unknowingly stalled the plane, um, and so they were trying to bring it out of a stall in a way that they'd been trained to do, but because of a bit of information about how the plane worked and how to get out of a stall that hadn't quite been communicated across. And, and these, these pilots weren't the only ones that, that this happened to. It happened on a training flight as well um, at, at some point when they were trying to deliberately stall the plane sure. to then bring it out of a stall to test it and mm-hmm. just crashed it because the way to bring it out of a stall didn't work. So basically what happened is that the, the pilots didn't have all the information they needed to be able to fly the plane mm-hmm. tried to take evasive action so that they weren't damaged by the thunderstorm and by doing so uh, unintentionally stalled the plane and just crashed into the ocean uh, and and they were unable to communicate with anyone because they weren't in the range of air traffic control and so at that point it was it was theorized well there is this this small sort of gray area where you might not quite appear on a traf- on the air traffic air control. control okay uh, between uh, Malaysia and Vietnam. So it was theorised at that point that maybe this a similar thing has happened to this aircraft mm-hmm. and they've just gone down into the sea before they could get in contact with Ho Chi Minh City. That would be the South China Sea. The South China Sea, yeah. indeed. Um, however, as you alluded to before, mm-hmm. um, they were observed on military radar. Now I've got down here that they were observed until 153 on military radar. I think I think maybe the differences between the times that we gave was that 153, that was the last time that that was confirmed to be MH370. There were late, maybe later planes showed up on radar, but they're not sure if it was MH370 I, or not. I will confess it. that my timeline is from a free book that I got from Kindle by Sylvia Wrigley. So if my timelines are not correct, Sylvia Wrigley is to blame. Uh, it's a good book, though. Do read it. But uh, yeah, Sylvia Wrigley! Rrr! 
the plane did some pretty interesting turns at mm-hmm. this point mm-hmm. after it, after the transponder was turned off. So there was a small turn to the right. Sorry, there was a small bank to the right just after the transponder had turned off. Yep. And then a, um, a sharp turn to the left. Well, so like, this is, it, it this almost is what, turns completely back yeah, on itself. So this is one of the interesting things that I found about what people were saying where the plane is concerned. It's like not only was the person in charge of the plane at this point, whoever that might be, not only was the person in charge of the plane at this point able to fly a commercial plane, but they were also able to fly a commercial plane aggressively and well, which is not yeah. a standard thing. Obviously, like with a fighter jet, it's kind of a, quite a small body, whereas a, a you know Boeing seven 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 is a massive plane, mm. and it's not very easy to go right. We're just going to absolutely like ramp this thing like left. We're going to ramp this thing right. We're going to do a loop to loop. You can't, you know, it's not yeah. the easiest thing to sort of pull maneuvers right, yeah. with. Yeah, and and furthering on from that, it was that these turns could not have been performed by an autopilot. It had to have been under manual control during during this specific turn. Well, this is it. So in the, with with regards to when it was flying over the South Indian Ocean, there's pretty much, according to IMASAT data, which isn't that reliable, dear listener, uh, straight. It's mm. fairly straight. So yeah, at this point, autopilots yeah. can't do that. They're not like Kit from the TV <laughs> show Knight Rider. Yeah. <laughs> you got to keep bringing Kit up throughout the whole, the whole thing. <laughs> a little bit. Yeah, so there was that big turn left. Yeah. Uh, and then there was a small turn right once they got into the, the, the Strait of Malacca. Okay. Uh, and and that was over the, the island of, of... It wasn't over the island of Penang. It was around sort of around the island of Penang. So mm-hmm. the plane was sort of arcing around it um, as if looking at it. And we'll, we'll get back to that later. Stick a pin in that. That might be important. And uh, also what was captured on military radar was that the altitude flux- fluctuated wildly. Mm-hmm. Now, this was a very interesting point at the time and has since been kind of assumed that whatever equipment was being used to monitor this plane was faulty rather than the plane itself. And that's because um, the differences in altitude that were recorded were right. impossible for a plane to have completed. Like okay, they've, so... They've, so they've, 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 they've tried it, obviously haven't tried it in real life because they die, but they've, they've tried it on flight simulators since and have not been able to replicate it. So it's, from things that I have I have heard... So this is the point that the information that you've received is different to the point that I've received. So at the point that you're talking about, I have heard that the plane was lifted to 45,000 feet. So that's a whole... And the the highest operational model that the plane can normally fly is 43,000 feet. Yes, yeah, that was so what taken, I was about to yeah, say. So it's yeah. taken to 45,000 yeah. feet and then brought down again. Now, there are certain theories as to why someone would do this, and one of those is literally to cause hypoxia on the plane yeah, and kill yeah, everybody yeah, other yeah, than yourself. So, yeah, so, so the, the plane would decompress. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, according to the same the same data, it, it managed to reach altitudes of 58,000 feet mm. uh, at times, which is 15,000 feet above its operational capacity. Yeah, that's, uh, and that's... then after after it reached that peak, it then dived to about a, to a couple of thousand feet within a minute, which is mm. ba- basically impossible. It, yeah, I mean... It can't be done. Like, if, if the pilot had indeed... Whoever was flying the plane had indeed done that at that point, yeah. it would have crashed into the ocean. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah, it's po- right it is possible to do that, but the plane would have crashed yeah, into the ocean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's, there's no way you point. can recover from a dive yeah. like that. It no. was, it, I did want to talk about... Because uh, I mentioned before why the, the military... Didn't didn't reveal their, good, their data for quite a while. That's a good question, uh, and it's a really mundane answer. Um, I, yeah, so I want to know this because i've i've be, I've been thinking about this right because uh, there's a there's a uh, documentary by the Australia the Australians. Uh, I can't do an Australian yeah. accent. Well, I, I can do a bit of a better one, yeah. but we'll we'll get into that later. So, so the reporter was was quite 
abrupt with the defence minister, um, <laughs> Hishamuddin Hussain. Hishamuddin Hussain. Where, where, where is it? Where is it? Where's the bloody plane, mate? So, well, she got an exclusive. So to, to be fair to them, they got an exclusive like interview with him and he sat down with them, which is very generous of him. Because yeah. she started asking questions during a press conference and they were like, the press conference is over. But yeah. afterwards, I'll speak to you. Basically, they sat down with Hishamuddin Hussein and um, they asked him why, when it passed over the military base Butterworth, why they hadn't sort of like sent up planes or tried to take it down and tried to crack it down. And he'd said, well, we don't take it down because, like, you know, we're not the Americans, <laughs> which I thought was an, ama- an amazing dig. I was like, yeah, that's... Perfect. I'm straight. Yeah. But like, uh, also, I've I've got some theories about what what he meant by that. But yeah, the, the reason they, they didn't reveal that they would picked up an unidentified aircraft on military radar for mm-hmm. quite some time, when it would have been very helpful when they were starting to look for the plane. For example, they were looking in the South China Sea, and the military already knew that it had gone elsewhere. When they did that, they were not wanting to give that data to anyone because it was a multinational investigation and so there were five there were at least five um nationalities involved in this like, yeah yeah mm-hmm. yeah so the malaysian military didn't want to reveal their radar their their sort of surveilling capacity okay to the other countries involved in the investigation and they they only did so once it so became Obvious that they they couldn't get away with hiding it. Anymore. So yeah, this is a thing actually. It's not it's not just Malaysians. So there's lo- lots of questions about this because obviously it, it flew between a lot of countries along the border, which is called a dead zone. So it flew along a dead zone at one point where like it was pinging off all kinds of radars, and a lot of people from all these different nationalities were like, well, we don't know exactly where it was, and we don't know who it was because yes, they're all playing with. We don't want to let you know what our military capabilities are. So that that is an it's it's an interesting and awful fact about I mean, the, the yeah, nature exactly, of the world that we yeah. live in. I mean, like, that's, that's, what I was about to say is that yeah, it's a really sad state of affairs for humanity that yeah a tragedy like this happens. Um, yeah, we're, we're too like oh well, I, I don't want them to get an, I, I don't want this other country to get an advantage on me by knowing knowing what cards I hold. It's just like seriously, there are people oh. missing. Yeah, I know, but yeah. shh, shh, don't don't ask yeah. me questions. Boys and their toys. They didn't not try to contact it. Okay, because that. Okay, so in in two thousand and fifteen. So just before you say that, in two thousand and fifteen, I saw the documentary uh, Lost MH370. They don't say that they didn't try and contact it. They don't say that. They just say, "Oh, we just monitored it <laughs> flying overhead." So that's the information that I've got. So what what was their uh, six years on? What was their official declaration on that? So um, this this was something that I didn't know before I started uh-huh. uh, researching this. Which is that at half past one in the morning, so mm-hmm. that's eight minutes after it after the transponder's been turned off. Sure. Um, it had been picked up on military radar. They'd contacted another plane that was flying nearby um, and said, can you try and get in touch with this? It's, it's MH370. Gone, it's, yeah, with, with, with MH370. I, I don't know if they knew it was MH370 uh-huh. or not, but there was a, there's a plane gone missing off radar, but we've picked up this thing on military radar. Can you try and get in touch with it? Um, and so... I couldn't find out which which plane it was. Uh, I mean, I suppose if I kept quoting flight numbers just to get very dry very quickly. But yeah, at, at half one, an, another plane radioed the cockpit of MH370 and the radio transmission was picked up, but all they heard was, quote, mumbling and static. Interesting. So somebody accepted the transmission and replied to it, but 
whatever they said, if they were indeed talking to the air, the other aircraft at all, was was not picked up. So I suppose at that point we're getting into what what could have caused the plane to do certain things. So, mm. so what time was that 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 air transmission was picked that up? That was that was at one thirty a.m. One thirty. So what? So yeah. Before if, we go any further, right. I'm going to talk about another legacy air crash investigation. Do you remember Helios Flight 522? No, I've heard of it, but which one was that again? Uh, okay, so that was... I mean, I, I remember this at the time very clearly because mm-hmm. it, um, it departed from Larnaca in Cyprus. Uh, this was the 14th of August, 2005. 2005, Now, yeah. the reason that I remember this is that uh, some of my family are Cypriot, so mm-hmm. uh, I've been to Cyprus quite a few times. Okay. I can't remember if, if I'd been there that year or that recently, mm-hmm. but it was the kind of thing where, where it was just like, that could have been me on that plane. Had, had I been there at that time, maybe I'd have got, you know, obviously I wouldn't have been going to Prague because... Why would you why, not... Hey, hang on, yeah. hang on. Why would you not have been going to Prague, Matthew? Well, because, because, <laughs> because of Helios. <laughs> because at that time I was 12 years old right. and, and didn't really have any say on, on, hey, on where we went. Hey, when but, you're 12, booze and prostitutes sounds pretty good to me, but God. Basically, they they took off from Lanaka Airport in Cyprus. Right. Started getting confused about about a warning, or what, something. What was the warning? Well, they they weren't sure. They they didn't understand what was happening. So they just had a warning. Yeah, they 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 had a warning. They didn't understand what it was, mm-hmm. and then they just stopped communicating. Right. Some military jets were then scrambled okay. to to go and track it down, and they found it just flying on autopilot. Just flying. Um, it was just what doing loops over hillsides in Greece. Like, no, no, no. It wasn't doing loops. It was just flying in a straight line. Okay. It was just. Um, it, it, it was what's known as a ghost plane. It, a ghost, it wasn't yep. being. It wasn't being flown by anyone. It was just on autopilot. Um, it was yeah, it, it was, it was just kit. on autopilot. Yeah, basically. Yeah, mm-hmm. it was just on autopilot, just just flying in a straight line. Okay. And it, uh, because it was only supposed to be a short flight, it didn't have that much fuel, and it ran out of fuel and just. Crashed, crashed into the yep. into the side of the mountain. That part of it. Everyone died. They they found what had happened. Everyone is, died. Well, yeah, 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 it's hilarious this episode. It's not hilarious, it's just this doesn't, everyone. Yeah, we're, we're talking about deaths of, uh, yeah, aviation passengers. Apologies yeah. to everybody. Well, it turned Pretty out, group. it turned out what, what happened on, right. on this flight was that the, um, basically Helios Airlines, they were, they were like a cheap airline and they, they just hadn't done due diligence. On not cheap budget airline, come on. Budget, budget airline. As, as you and I well know, budget yeah. airlines are good airlines for people like us who need budget <laughs> yeah. airlines. Indeed, indeed. But, uh, I mean, they've been, they've been taking budget to a whole new level because they hadn't even bothered to do the safety checks properly. So what had happened was that somebody had come along to, to check the plane, mm-hmm. um, and, and check like the the pressurization mechanism. Sure. Uh, I turned it from automatic to manual so that they could do do the tests. Yep. And then they forgot to change it back to automatic, which the pilots were expecting <laughs> because they they weren't paid to pressurize a plane manually. So uh, everybody died of hypoxia, basically. Yeah, everybody. So yeah, they they took off the plane, didn't pressurize, uh, oh, and everyone just. Yeah, basically suffocated until they became unconscious, and then th- that's why the plane was just flying itself for ages. So this is this is one of the theories about MH370, then, yeah. isn't it? That basically the idea that either there was a problem with the cabin or that it was a deliberate thing by whoever was controlling the plane. Yeah. So um, I mean, the depressurized the, the, the evidence to suggest that there might have been a depressurization mm-hmm. would be the, the erratic movements of of the plane. And and this the the mumbling heard by the plane that tried to contact yes. it. Yes, 
Okay. It could just be that the pilots suffering from oxygen starvation are getting really, really confused and just don't know what they're doing. However, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say, though, like, so what time was that that the mumbling was heard? Half, half past one. Half past one. So the, the mumbling was heard at half past one. It flies over a military base at about 2.14 or around that time, somewhere between half past one and, you know, half past two. And then it starts ha- hanging at a right. Yeah. So from yeah. what I, I mean, understand... Like, yeah, from, from, from information that has come further along, it's pretty clear that this isn't what happened okay that was kind of the assumption they were working to at that time Uh, well however there is a theory that possibly one of the pilots asked the other pilot to leave the cockpit to get a coffee so for example um, well we'll we'll, we'll get onto that we'll get onto that later like that's um that's basically i mean i've got a whole two-page spread on 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 coffees and uh and, and cockpits okay so yeah, until 1.53, it was observed on military radar, mm-hmm. and then it disappeared over the Strait of Malacca, which mm-hmm. is, basically, if you, if you think oh. it in terms of a globe, you've got the the Malaysian Peninsula, you've got Thailand, which sort of connects to that, mm-hmm. and it's to the west of that, like, so the sort of the, the top right of the Indian Ocean, that's that's where that is. Ten, yeah, ten, ten minutes before that, you, you talked about the, the, the Inmar sat thing. Yeah. So that was that was initially turned off along with the transponder, or at least that's how it appeared. However, at 43 minutes past one in the morning, okay, which is an hour and one minute after after the plane was cleared for takeoff. Yes. I don't know why I felt the need to stress that. Are your notes worse <laughs> than mine this week? Is, is that yeah, what's it's, happening? Yeah. It's, it sounds like it. It sounds like <laughs> it. So yeah, um, at, at 1.43, the satellite link to, to the InMassat system was okay. re-established. So it sounds like some systems have turned back on, perhaps so that the plane could be flown on autopilot again. Ah, okay. That so that makes sense. So, so yeah, they they noticed when this happened. So they actually tried to call the cockpit at one fifty-seven a.m. Malaysian I did not time. know that. So okay. this, is only, this is only fourteen minutes after it's been turned back on. Yeah, it's yeah. only thirty-five minutes after the transponder's been turned off mm-hmm. that they they tried to call the cockpit. And so. The call was routed to a phone in the cockpit, cockpit yeah, which, yeah. which rang. So there was a, a phone to ring, but it wasn't answered. No. On the so, so this is what they were doing at the time. Right. Uh, on the 11th of March, mm-hmm. they had time to analyze a lot of the data that they collected. Like they, they, they knew the plane was still in the air according to their data, but they didn't understand what the data meant. So they had to go through it and analyze it and go, where could it be? What was it doing? On the 11th of March, they then they managed to analyse the data enough that they could then give this information over to the investigators. Sure. And it suggested that the plane changed heading. They don't know which direction. Right. They just, they just know that there was a... A, a slight a course significant, correction. A significant, a significant direction change okay. to the aircraft. That's what the Inmarsat data picked up. Okay. At a certain point in time, which meant that they could plot vaguely... Not knowing which direction it had turned, they could plot vaguely in in terms of like spheres where it could have gone from the point at which that turn right. was made based on fuel consu- consumption and speed. So they they found out that it had flown for nearly seven hours after after it disappeared from radar. Yeah, so that makes sense because MH three seventy was had eight hours worth of fuel yeah. on board. So that yeah, it it disappeared about. 40 minutes after, uh, well, it turned its yeah. transponder off 40 minutes after takeoff. So, yeah, we're talking yeah. about... So, it, it, had, it, had, it had the capacity to fly for 
a much longer time. For if, if you don't know too much about air travel, the reason that they do this is is obviously because if if your flight is delayed, i.e., you know you're 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 flying to an airport, something happens at the airport, which means that you can't land mm-hmm. because there's other planes in the way. You're going to have a fair amount of reserve fuel so that you don't just fall out the sky. Yep. And so with the MRSAT data, they are assuming because it didn't turn up on any of the radars that it, it, it then turned left. It turned to the south. Yep. Uh, and then flew in a straight line uh, over the southern Indian Ocean, which is very, very remote. We should we should talk about the Southern Indian Ocean. We yeah, definitely yeah. should talk about yeah. that. Yeah. So so to, to get an idea of how remote it is, after they announced this on the eleventh of November that this might be where the plane was heading. So hey, when did they, they when eleventh of November when? Sorry, eleventh of March is what I meant. Not the eleventh. Okay. <laughs> that's that's my birthday. Yeah, that's your birthday. I was like, they announced the math Hart, Matthew Hardless's birthday that they. Hey Matt, I know you like uh, I know you like mysteries around yeah. a- aviation. Did you know that MH370 flew over the Indian Ocean? I didn't know that, guys. That's the best birthday present ever. Yeah, no, that was a uh, yeah a slip of the tongue from me. So yeah, on the 11th of March, mm-hmm. they in my sat produced this data. Yes, and after that point. They then created arcs of where the final transmission, yeah, yeah, the, the, uh, one, the one which they predicted might have been because the fuel had ran out. Mm-hmm. They then produced arcs as to where this plane might have been at that time. And with the Southern Indian Ocean hypothesis, they then drew up um, an area which the it might have landed had it done that. Indian Ocean hypothesis. Yeah, and like when you when you look at a world map, it doesn't look like it's that far away from anything. But even knowing exactly where to go, it took investigators six days to get there. So, so hello again. Things might sound a little different now because AJ has bought himself a new microphone. Yes, hello. And the reason that he has had the opportunity to do that is because when we tried to record the first time, we got too drunk after the point you've just heard and started shouting over each other all the time. And it sounds absolute wank. So we will carry on as we were completely sober. Uh, we just talked about the Inmarsat data. Now the the flapper on this, this is going forward uh, about a year and a half into the future. So in summer 2015, the Flapperon, which is a part of a plane wing, uh, that was that washed up on Reunion Island. So, if you want to know what a Flapperon is, when you are on takeoff, you can see the Flapperon extend out of the plane wing, uh, and that's and then it retracts when the plane's landing. Is that correct, or in in flight? Uh, I think it's the opposite way around. Opposite way around, yes. So, I think I think you extend it during takeoff and landing mm-hmm. because it it, it's, it affects lift and drag and things like that. And yep. obviously, you, you want drag when. Uh, when you're landing uh, and you want lift when you're taking off, mm-hmm. uh, and so that the, the, because it will then you know, can cause problems mid-flight if it's extended, if there's turbulence or something. So that's why it's retracted during the flight. Mm-hmm. It's to the best of my understanding what it's for. So yeah, that piece of the plane washed up on Reunion Island in 2015. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't know if it washed up, but presumably it yeah, did. It washed but up, it, yeah, it washed up. It, it was found in 2015. Yep. But yeah, so it probably washed up not too long before they found it. Now, the way that it was found, it was basically found in, in just one one whole piece, uh-huh. the, the flapper on, which on the ABC documentary that we have mentioned a couple of times, 
they did this experiment to show how something made of this metal could be uh, sheared off in, in one piece. Uh, and through the way they found it, they found that it had to enter the water at a very specific angle. So mm-hmm. either vertically or practically horizontally, which means that the autopilot, when the plane ran out of fuel, would not have done that. It, it would have just sort of semi-glided and then just hit the ocean. So when they found this, it did suggest that somebody was still flying the plane at the end. So have either brought more, it into probably, a controlled it's probably, glide. It's probably or, better to say that it's... it's, it's it's unlikely that the plane, if the autopilot was on the plane, wouldn't sort of go like that because you know things can malfunction. Go like what, AJ? Remember, they can't. Yeah, see they us. can't see. <laughs> it. I'm pointing downwards towards the floor, towards the carpet. We have a carpet here, but um, in the Indian Ocean, they have water. Yeah. So if it was going down, it you know vertically, it's very unlikely that it would. Uh, the autopilot would have it going vertically in, in a dive bombing motion. It would quite. I mean, things would. As things started going offline, the plane would sort of just turn a bit with wind direction. Mm-hmm. It wouldn't be able to glide as long as if somebody were controlling it, keeping it straight. However, it wouldn't also automatically just... It's not like you just flick a switch and it just goes... and just falls out of the sky. From the way the flapper on is, we can infer some way that, that it might have gone into the water. And because of that inference... Mm-hmm. That means it's now looking more likely that somebody was still in control of the plane when it crashed. So, who was in control of the plane? Who the million-dollar question. Uh, let's talk about some theories. I reckon it's remote controlled. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's let's start with that because okay. that's that that's quite interesting. Mm-hmm. Um. So hijacked by remote. Now, something that that I was finding out about when researching this. Again, this was not something that I knew mm-hmm. uh, before, although I'd heard the hijacked by remote theory. Now, Boeing, the company who made the aeroplane, they are an American company. And since 9-11, because of that plane being hijacked, the uh, Boeing have been experimenting with, with trying to get technology where the plane can be taken over remotely by someone else to stop something like 9-11 happening just you know if, if it looks like it's going to be flown into a building they can take charge of it and fly it somewhere else mm-hmm. however boeing say that, that they haven't completed that technology and that that's not fitted on on any of their airplanes retrofitted on any of them it would have to be with this particular airplane um airplane thing is though got a question for you matt if you had a a brand new technology that you were testing for the first time and it was also like a terrorist theft proof kind of technology would you announce that you had well that exactly on the plane no no with? you wouldn't because then all the terrorists would be going right let's learn how to hack yeah let's thing. learn how right. to hack that yeah yeah in, in in the same way that when we were talking earlier about the the military radar and why they didn't disclose what they'd seen at the time was because they didn't want other countries to know what technology they had and you know it could be exactly the same reason with this you you don't want potential enemies of your state knowing that they could control all of your airplanes yeah exactly and, you don't fly them about so we just hacked into this thing remotely and, uh, you know, used some wireless technology and then we flew it around for a bit. If, if yeah, if people knew they could do that, then that would be quite bad, I think. Well, indeed. Uh, so that's out of all the conspiracy theories around it. I think that that's the only one where I'd say, yeah, I could I could, I could potentially believe in that. Well, they, they always do that, though, these governments and things, don't they? They, they yeah. always go, oh, you know, we've got. It's, it's 2020 and we've got 20, 2025 technology. It's like, well, no, you've not got 20, 20, 2025 technology. It's like, you've got 
today's technology and in, in five years time like we'll, we'll let you use it at exorbitant prices if you really wanted to that's yeah. what it is like who knows yeah they, they might already have that technology and they don't want to share it with anyone well in the news I mean, recently like you know remember the cold war <laughs> like, yeah in the, in the news recently the uh an, Isra- an ex-israeli sort of minister has said that the the u.s and various countries around the world are in touch with a uh a galactic federation of aliens so uh, <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah who knows that, yeah. who knows what technology those aliens have given us uh, the the ability to remotely pilot planes is probably out there that seems like uh, of all the things they could give us that seems like quite a crap one well yeah it's pretty <laughs> mundane isn't it yeah. but that's i think if you want to keep yourself secret which apparently they do because they think that we'd all freak out if we knew they existed you know you'd you'd want to sort of do it in increments so the idea that mork could take hand control of the ship and fly it around to control the plane yeah. and fly it around well, maybe, maybe that's what was happening maybe that's these aliens were in touch with with the u.s government at the time going oh look what we could do with a plane that your airline um your <laughs> airplane company <laughs> oh. has made um we yeah. made a mistake guys sorry <laughs> yeah. took control of the wrong oh, dear. one I've, I've accidentally killed everyone on board i didn't i didn't realize that would happen uh shall i just i'll just fly it over the indian oceans let it let it crash so what you're saying is yeah. <laughs> some aliens were showing obama how to use how to oh, hey yeah, obama look how i use this technology <laughs> Yeah. Thanks, Obama. <laughs> yeah, it's all Obama's fault. <laughs> well, yeah, Donald Trump's been like, he's bad. He's a criminal. Lock Hillary Clinton up. Like, maybe, maybe he knows it. Maybe they know stuff that, like, he's not been letting on. He, I don't know what they've been up to. Who knows? Oh, to be a fly on the wall in the White House. Yes. We mentioned aliens. Let's let's have a look at some of the the other daft theories. There's the the black hole theory. They basically got shut down straight away, and then, as is the way these days as soon as you shut something down people will go but what about this how do we know that that's how it works but um yeah so the the black hole theory was that the the plane just flew into a black hole yeah a black hole just opened up and sucked the plane in however the the problem with that theory is that if a black hole the way they described did open up it would also suck in most of uh the surrounding solar system yeah (laughs) at the very least so yeah so yeah so i mean the the plane wouldn't have been any differently affected to everyone else on, on on the earth at the time because that's a big problem with cern there's a big concern with cern they think that they're <laughs> concern cern, it's a concern with cern yeah if they keep bobbing quarks around at near light speed and smashing them into one another to see what will happen and all these like atomic particles to what will happen there's the very big concern they could just open up a black hole and just suck the whole planet into a black hole and just mm. Well, maybe, maybe we should do an episode on that at some point because basically that that can't happen either. What 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 they're doing at CERN that happens in our upper atmosphere all the time, and so like tiny black holes are made, but they uh, they're not stable enough to to actually do anything. They just they just collapse under their own weight, basically. Well, I guess one of the concerns with the black hole theory here as well is that if because the idea is that it either gets sucked into a black hole and just compressed into nothing, or potentially gets sucked into an alternative universe yeah. or somewhere else entirely in yeah. the universe. A wormhole or a some wormhole. Sort of portal, yeah. But if, if that was the case, then why would the flapperon be found? I guess maybe they <laughs> they got sucked into a portal that opened up somewhere in the Indian Ocean. <laughs> so, yeah, <laughs> they got, so yeah, they got sucked into a... It's just appeared yeah, under the yeah know. under the ocean on the ocean floor and the flap on. Yeah. I mean, I said I said it was a daft theory. It is. A, yeah, <laughs> that would be very unlucky. Um, oh. <laughs> let's go. Let's go back to the conspiratorial ones. Mm-hmm. So, a lot of people at the time posited that the the plane had gone to Diego Garcia, which is a U.S. Air Force base mm-hmm. on the island of the of the same name. And I, th- I think the island is a British overseas territory, actually, but the US have an Air Force base. Probably. I, I didn't look into that. But yes, uh, there are lots of tiny little islands around the globe which are owned by 
the U.S. Well, the U.S. are really interesting, aren't they? Because they're not, they don't really colonize places in the same way that other superpowers colonize places. Well, they, no, they don't take over. They, they just go, they oh. Came, they came to the party later than everyone else. Yeah, so, so. What, the way they do it is they go, oh, we're just going <laughs> to, hey, guys, we're going to come along and we're going to protect you. And what, the way we're going to protect you is we're just going to plunk a military base in the middle of your lands and then you're protected. <laughs> it's like, what are you going to do while you're there? Well, we might go do invasions of Iraq and stuff like that. So maybe. Yeah, like, <laughs> yeah. The idea behind this Diego Mar- Garcia is that either it was re- remote controlled there. I don't know why mm. they would want a passenger plane to land. <laughs> Diego yeah. Garcia. Hey, well, we don't, you guys were yeah, going to go to uh, yeah. Beijing, but actually, like, <laughs> you're in Diego Garcia for a party. Hey. Hey. Come to the beach. <laughs> some margaritas and some, uh, what are those necklaces called that they wear uh, in Hawaiian? Whenever you go to Hawaii, they give you like a oh, necklace what? of flowers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah. don't know what the name is. But yeah, it's yeah like, I can't remember what the name is actually. Come out to our luau. Like, no. So it's either that they were remote controlled there for nefarious purposes or it was hijacked and they were trying to, some terrorists for whatever reason were trying to like blow up Diego Garcia, yeah, yeah, 9 yeah. 11 so, style. So, yeah. So I think, I think neither of those theories are particularly likely, but the latter is the, the more likely one. Interestingly, M- MH370 had Diego Garcia in its list of places you could fly to on autopilot mm-hmm. so did it yeah yeah i haven't yeah. read that so uh, i mean basically like airplanes will have a lot of airports in their in their autopilot system in case they need to make an emergency landing mm-hmm. if they're so like, a lot of like smaller island airports where you know if you're traveling across the ocean say if they were going from malaysia to somewhere in africa mm-hmm. then you know that would be the kind of thing where yeah if you need to make a, an emergency descent on a small island airport and you're out of air traffic control kind of thing to say that's what you're going to do, then you can have the autopilot on. Instead of being told where's the nearest airport, you can then just, just switch over if you need to make an emergency landing. Okay. Uh, but I mean, Diego Garcia is, is nowhere near where the flight path of the, of, of the plane. Well, yeah. The, 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 where, it's just nowhere near Kuala Lumpur or Beijing, anyway, is what I mean. Yeah, uh, or, so, or so it would have had to do with Vietnam. Again. You know, it's basically yeah, a yeah. straight dart up the, mm. uh, up the coastline, essentially, to get to... Beijing, so it's very yeah. odd that they sort of didn't. Yeah, make yeah. It. So I mean, D- Diego Garcia is just about the limit of where they could have reached with mm-hmm. the fuel that they had, and the idea was that the plane got there, and then the U.S. Army, fearing rightly or wrongly that they were going to be attacked, shot it down. Because there were some, there were some sightings of planes overhead in that region. Yeah, I mean, it's all anecdotal, so I don't really like... know. I don't know how much credence to give that. Well, yeah, this yeah. is the thing because there's a lot of private jets that fly around that area as well. So, like, from the ground, you see a jet of some kind in the sky, yeah. especially the night sky, you see a jet, and you, d- you don't know what kind of... Also, who can identify planes at, like, mm. six in the morning? I'm not... Well, <laughs> I'm yeah, not, I'm yeah. not that, you know, I mean, I'm not I'm, paying attention. I suppose, I suppose, yeah, if you've just briefly seen a plane, you might, you might not know what a passenger jet looks like. Yeah. Especially if you live on tiny islands in the middle of nowhere where you're not going to get that many flying overhead. But if you hear that, yeah, if you hear like a Boeing 777 has gone missing and you go, well, I saw a plane. Oh, yeah. yeah was yeah. it? It was flying pretty pretty low. Oh, yeah. Was it Was it a Boeing 777? I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> quite. There were people yeah. on it. I don't know if it was flying overhead, you know, doing what planes normally yeah, meant yeah, to do. Yeah, yeah. But maybe that's I mean, your missing plane. Even though we, you and I live quite close to an airport, I wouldn't be able to identify what kind of plane was flying overhead. I, would, I mean, you know, I, I like to think I'd be able to identify if it was a, a commercial flight or like a like a small jet or something yeah. but even so i mean I've, I've never tried to do it so i don't know well, this, is, all it. The same to this me. is it i mean like 
I, I know that some of them have propellers on. I'm pretty good at identifying planes with propellers. The reason this, this probably didn't happen... Well, there's, there's two reasons. Firstly, the, the wreckage that was found has no evidence of there having been uh, an, an explosion. So if it had been shot down, then the wreckage would would, would would have suffered serious kind of burns and warping from, yes. from an explosion that would have done that. So from a lot of stuff that I've read and looked at, like a lot of experts, aviation experts say, look, like normally in these situations, you would have millions of pieces of debris yeah, in the ocean that as well, floating yeah. around. And like we've scoured the whole of the Indian Ocean looking for it, southern Indian Ocean looking for this mm. plane. And that we've, you know, we found a flapper and we found a few items, but normally yeah. in all these places, a reunion island should have been like littered yeah, with like quite, bits yeah. in Australia. Perth should have been littered with. Yeah. Well, exactly. I mean, that, that gives credence to the theory that, that, that it was flown deliberately into the ocean yeah. in, in a way that meant it would stay more or less in one piece. Mm-hmm. Because, yeah, that's even on the scale of the Indian Ocean, like, yeah, if, if a plane dramatically hit, hit the ocean so that it fell apart like that, yeah, there should have been pieces everywhere and it should have been easy to see them. Uh, because that, that's how they found Air France flight. They they knew it had gone missing somewhere between Brazil and and, and Cape Verge, mm-hmm. on, uh, just on the the west of the the West African coast. And it, I, I think it took them like a, a day or two to start seeing pieces. It took them ages to find the actual plane itself. But because there was so much debris, I mean, the Atlantic Ocean is pretty big, and they didn't know where it had gone down. Oh, they yeah. just knew that it had gone missing somewhere between Brazil and, well, had, and, and the west of Africa. They had less. Didn't they have less like flight recorded data than they did with? MH370. Well, yeah, I mean, they, they weren't even, no, nobody realised that, that that Air France flight was missing for, for hours. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so they, they they had a much bigger area to, to look at, really, because they didn't have all of this data and they managed to find debris very quickly because there was so much of it. And that's that's one of the weird things about this flight is that there isn't that much debris. So yeah, if, if it had been shot down, there'd be a lot more debris. Um, the, the other reason it's unlikely to have anything to do with Diego Garcia is because whether they did it rightly or wrongly if the US military shot down a plane that was heading for a military base they would probably make that public to show terrorists that that's they weren't going to be able to do that yeah. so anyone that's trying to attack them just like you're not even going to get close mate close. like yeah we've yeah. shot it but then it's tough isn't it because the whole thing about that is with the flight path that that plane was taking it was going past a lot of nations and pinging off a lot of nations sort of radars and things like that so you don't know what kind of tensions were sort of being built up by that whole thing especially if it's an unidentified commercial jet you're like i don't know let's move on to uh, another conspiracy theory so there's the the freescale stuff for us passengers each had a 20 percent stake in a microchip patent they all they all worked for this company freescale mm-hmm. uh, and the, the, the company had the other 20 percent stake and so the, the theory is is that the the company somehow managed to deliberately crash the plane so that it would get 100% of the stakes in this patent. However, they, they definitely do that. Stake they, ho- they, shareholders would definitely yeah, do they that. Would, like. they, they would definitely do that. However, I can tell you that they definitely didn't because legally that's not the way the rights work. So those those, those four people, their, their, uh, their share of that patent has, I don't know who it's gone to specifically, presumably next of kin. For, for all of them, but it hasn't gone to the parent company anyway. I'll have to check what their will was and who it was going to do, because <laughs> it, it shareholder number five, <laughs> Mr. Jenkins. <laughs> well, My possibly, boss, Mr. Possibly. Jenkins, is is getting my 20% shares in this company. Yeah, it's possible. I mean, the, the other thing is, is like, well, how, how would this company bring down a plane? Well, uh, I mean, I mean uh, the remote control thing, have you ever seen any of the white hacker 
conferences on like YouTube. Have you seen any of no, that? No, no, I haven't actually. The stuff that they, the stuff that they can do, they go, oh yeah, we figured out how to hack into like a BMW with like an internal car, and we can actually slam the brakes on and like crash a car or like slam the accelerator on and Jesus, really? or and like uh, or just like stop yeah stop the locks from working they 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 can hack into like people's um pacemakers and stop oh, yeah, the pacemaker yeah, from working yeah exactly That's frightening. it Jesus, is frightening really? like you know the amount of things that people can do with like technology these days is 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 insane and like it makes me very angry because I can't do anything with technology. <laughs> I bought, I bought, uh, I bought couldn't, wi- couldn't even get your printer. To work. Yeah, I bought a wireless printer today. I spent all day trying to get the wireless printer to work. Back in the day, you used to just plug in the printer, and then the printer would just print off. Now this printer is like, hey, like, how about you make an account with HP so we can know what you're printing off? Like, why do you want to know the sort of script that I'm trying to print off for the, for this podcast? Yeah, but we we want to know. How about joining the cloud? You want to join the cloud, don't you? Everybody wants to join the cloud. No. I don't want to join the cloud. Okay, I just want to print off the paper. Oh, printer not working. User, user initiative, like, required. What do you mean by that? I'm not going to tell you. Like, so, yeah, uh, people in the know can do all kinds of manners of wonderful things, including making... Printers work. Yeah, printers work. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, if, if someone can make a printer work, I'm sure they could crash a plane. Well, some, something else remote hijackers could have done is to send the plane to the Kazakhstan Cosmodrome. In, I was about to say in Russia, but obviously it's in Kazakhstan. Kazakhstan. Why would they do this? Well, uh, there are links to MH17. The day that MH370 vanished was the day after some sanctions, some US sanctions had been placed on Russia. And top Russian politicians said that they uh, there would be a boomerang effect. Uh, and the same thing happened the day before MH17, which was another Malaysian Airlines flight. Uh, another Boeing tri- 777, uh, you sort of disappeared mid-flight. Um, mm-hmm. We actually know what happened to that one. It got shot down over Ukraine by, uh, well, it was over the Crimea by by people who wanted the Crimea to be part of Russia. Yes. It was a sort of a, um, a, a militant group who apparently hadn't been trained very well and just shot down a passenger plane. And again, that... Apparently that, had, for, for people who've apparently not been trained very well, they were quite well, successful yeah, in yeah. shooting something down. Yeah, like. indeed. Yeah, so yeah, I'm, I'm not sure. I mean, that's, that's, that's what we They've not been trained it. very well, but it was yeah. a bullseye. Like, yeah. Yeah. I can't remember if it was Putin himself or just another high-ranking Russian official, but yeah, they said the same thing about a boomerang effect. And that was the day after more US sanctions were placed on Russia because mm-hmm. of the, the annexation of Crimea. I mean, you can't trust what Putin says, though. Putin's like, oh, yeah, it's terrible. Look at look at all these things that are happening. How, how is that happening? Because uh, you want them to? Vladimir, yeah. you're quite a powerful individual who likes judo and, and riding horses and bare, bare-chested. His beautiful chest Yeah, out. yeah. There's little proof of there being a significant link between the two planes, apart from the fact, you know, they're both from the same airline. They're both Boeing 777s, and they both went missing the day after uh, Russian politicians said something quite ominous however there's like physically there's there's no real link between the two planes i mean the fact that mh17 was shot down and you know its wreckage was found and they found the bodies of people on there people say that that might have actually been mh370 instead and that mh7 but i mean what what i (laughs) fail to understand about that is why would they that's the th- why would they not just claim to have crashed two planes rather yeah. than trying to switch one with the other? That doesn't so, make any so sense. Got, yeah, you've got that and you've also got, oh yeah, this MH17, which has gone missing. That's not the wreckage that we found. The MH17, which we found a wreckage where MH17 should have been, but it's actually MH370, yeah. which should have been somewhere completely different. Like, it's like, an MH17 is the one that's gone missing somewhere. It's like, come on, like, yeah, yeah. I, I, 
this happens sometimes with conspiracy theories. They just added steps. You're like, well, let's just logically think this through. That doesn't make sense as to how that would happen, well, why exactly, that would happen. Yeah, like, yeah. I could def- I could I could go with the idea that like they have some link to them somehow. That there was tensions that were pretty high, and maybe even America were like, oh god, like maybe this flight has gone the wrong way, and it's all gone wrong. And, uh, you know, it's maybe something to do with a Russian attack or something like that. I could quite believe that the Americans might have shut it down for that reason. But, like, just saying, oh, yeah, it was flying in a place that it shouldn't have been flying. And uh, another plane's been missing where it should have been. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's beyond the bounds of reason, really. There are two more theories that I want to talk about. Okay. One of them is the big one. However, one of them is the big one. The big one. The big one. I've got a whole two pages in my notebook about that one. Excellent. The other one is quite simple. So uh, there's the idea that a fire was started on the plane somehow. Uh, Now, the the flight had a cargo of lithium-ion batteries, which can cause quite severe fires in the air. A UPS flight in 2010 crashed over, I think it was over Saudi Arabia, Mm -hmm. somewhere, because a fire had been started by, they they had like 80,000 lithium-ion batteries in in their cargo. One one of them caught fire, and then, you know, it just destroyed the rest of them. They all caught fire and basically just destroyed all the mechanical... I'm fairly sure that happened to a British Airways flight as well. It didn't didn't crash, but I think on the runway, some of the batteries caught fire on the runway, and uh, they had to evacuate the plane. Oh, yeah, was that at Manchester Airport? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, They had to to evacuate the plane, and everyone's like, yeah, it's bloody awful. The whole cabin just filled up with smoke in no time at all. Yeah. Didn't didn't people... like It it took people a while to to get off the plane. Yeah, yeah, A lot of people just ended up dying on the plane because they couldn't get out in time. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, you know, these things can happen very quickly. And yeah. obviously they have, they explode. So the problem is that when you've got batteries tightly packed together and one mm. starts exploding, then they all start popping. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. Um, so the idea of why this might have happened and nobody made any contact, it is possible that the fire and explosion, you know, might have destroyed something that connected the transponders of everything else. And that's mm-hmm. why that was shut off. And then the erratic movements of the plane afterwards could have been the pilots attempting to bring it to bring the plane around. There is one problem with that theory, though, which is that I think it's no plane has ever been in the air for longer than 30 minutes with a serious fire on board. Yeah, yeah, quite, yeah. So the the idea that that plane... Was on fire for a long time and managed to fly for like eight hours. Yeah, 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 it's it's unlikely, but I thought that would be a bit of a nice one because that doesn't mean that anyone's really to blame. Well, apart from the idiot who put all them lithium-ion batteries on it. Well, this but. is this is a good point, folks. Don't put your lithium-ion batteries in your hold-all luggage. Take it with you in your hand luggage. Yeah. So that's why you're meant to do it. You're meant to take your laptops and yeah, your, yeah. your dildos and those things and mm-hmm. put them in your, your hand luggage. Why would that make a difference? Though, uh, well, are they, are they less likely to explode if, if you do that? Well, no. It's for one for one thing. If if your lithium-ion battery catches fire, oh, you can just put it out. Yeah, there's people there right, who go, oh, yeah. there's a fire that's just started here. Yeah. So we can actually do something about that. Where, and it's, where, it's, yeah, it's where, quicker to Whereas detect. if it's in the hole, then, yeah. then you're not going to know. Exactly. Yeah. So it's quicker to detect fires if the thing that might catch fire is in where people are. It might. Yeah. It sounds counterintuitive, but actually it makes more sense to have it there yeah. for safety reasons. Yeah, yeah. It's, I suppose it's, it's not the kind of thing that you'd ignore. Like, some, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, oh, I knew I was expecting hot weather where I was going, but like, <laughs> these are getting toasty already. So let's talk about the... The sort of the, the main theory that people have at the moment as to what happened with the plane, even though it's not a particularly watertight theory, it's still kind of the, the most likely out of everything we've got. So that's the idea that MX370 was a murder-suicide by 
or at least by somebody, somebody who knew how to fly a plane. Pilot or the co-pilot. Yeah, the pilot or the co-pilot, or somebody else on the plane who knew how who knew how to fly a plane like that. Apparently, there was there was another passenger who had a it was like a flight engineer or something. Although they didn't have any experience of flying Boeing seven seven sevens, which because they're big planes, like you would need the experience to be able to make it make those maneuvers that it did. So probably probably not that passenger. So yeah, either the pilot or the co-pilot, unless somebody was taking Boeing 777 flying lessons without anyone's knowledge. Well, I mean, you can buy a simulator. Yeah. So, I mean, we're going to get onto simulators shortly, I'm sure. But like, yeah, everybody can buy a simulator these days. And also, you can get YouTube videos full of, uh, you know, information on all the inner workings of the plane. So I suppose if you watched a lot of YouTube videos and made a lot of notes, perhaps you could do some simple maneuvers. Well, yeah. I've yeah. played in flight simulators. I'm rubbish at them, so it can't be me. But, you know, somebody else. <laughs> I mean, to, to be honest, we're, we're told it's not that easy, but then maybe we're all told that so that we don't Yeah, think, so we don't... Oh, you know, it'll be a good idea. Let's go and hijack the plane. plane. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> taking this flight to Mexico. <laughs> this is a Ryanair flight, sir. We're going to Dublin. <laughs> we don't have enough fuel to get to Mexico. <laughs> I'm going to Mexico. That's where I'm going. <laughs> there, were, there were two pilots. One of them... See, because the plane flew for so long... And so deliberately, it's unlikely that both pilots were in agreement on what they were doing, especially if it was a murder-suicide. So it's most likely that only one pilot was in the cockpit mm-hmm. once the transponder was turned off. Something else to back this up is that German, the German Wings flight, which one was it? What was it called? I have it here somewhere. German Wings flight 9525 from Barcelona to Dusseldorf that was deliberately crashed by the co-pilot who... Mm-hmm. I think he'd failed a medical recently because he was suicidal and he was claiming that he couldn't see properly. And yet he decided not to disclose this to his employers because for some mad reason, if you're a pilot and you get told you can't fly, it's up to you to tell the airline that you can't fly. So that was, but yeah, anyway. What, if you what, weren't already terrified of flying yeah. from this podcast enough. Yeah. Well, I think <laughs> I think that has changed now because because of that crash. But um, yeah, what what he did basically was the he told the um, the captain said oh, do, do you want to go to the toilet now? But before we make the descent, and the captain was like, uh, yeah, yeah, good idea. He went out, and then yeah, then the co-pilot just locked the door, locked, locked the door behind him, so the captain couldn't get back in. Again, that that's a safety feature that's been added since nine eleven, so the cockpit door cannot be opened mm-hmm. by uh, unless you're inside the cockpit. Have you ever have you ever flown on a plane pre nine eleven where you could see the cockpit? Uh, I mean, I have I have seen the cockpit in planes. Mm-hmm. I, I never got like, to go in one in the air. I was really jealous of that. Yeah. I always heard. I mean, the kids I've, I've never been it. allowed to go in one, but I mean, no. I have seen. I have seen the inside of a cockpit on a plane post nine eleven. Just, just, just when the captain or co-pilots come out, and I've been waiting for the toilet, and they've said oh, I need to go to the toilet now because I want to land the plane. Yeah, uh, and you know, I've been able to see in in the cockpit just for a few seconds. Yeah, but I, I've seen because back in the day, man, the door would just be open sometimes, just for a pit, extended periods of time. They just leave it open. You know, doesn't matter one way or the other. So yeah. You'd see the pilot doing his thing. 9-11 really spoiled a lot of fun, didn't it? <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah, that's uh, it's a bit of an understatement. But uh, yes, yes, you can say that. So Zahari Ahmed Shah, who was the captain of this flight, mm-hmm. he, he seems to be the more likely candidate. We discussed at the beginning of the episode that the, the co-pilot, Farik Abdul Hamid, mm-hmm. He he was twenty seven. He was going to get married, and this this was also supposed to be his his final training flight before he would then before get his captain's his, license. Yeah, his captain's license, his full career. You know, he had so, yeah. everything to live for. The idea that it would be like there's no evidence at all from from his behaviour or anything happening in his life that. 
that he would have any desire to crash the plane. Interestingly, there's not that much for Captain Shah either. Now, remember that German wings flight pilot? There was a lot in his behavior. Once it was investigated, there was a lot in his behavior to show that this guy should never have been allowed to fly a plane. Yep. With Captain Shah, there's basically nothing. His behavior didn't change. He didn't, you know, he didn't change his spending habits. He didn't really do anything out of the ordinary or anything to suggest that something had happened to him that had changed his mood, that had changed him mentally. However, there are reports that his his wife left him and that he was having an affair, which was broken off just before takeoff. But these these things have never been proven and his his family have strongly denied. Have this. you have you seen the interview with his brother in law? Uh, I have not. The interview with his brother-in-law is amazing because his brother-in-law is literally just like, why would he Why would he do this? He's like, because apparently, according to his brother-in-law, apparently his wife would go to stay with family every time he was flying. So every time he was flying, she would take the kids because there's reports that she'd taken the kids that day. And that's maybe one reason why. But apparently it's they. she would just go to family anyway. And the, so the interviewer asked him specifically, the brother-in-law asked him specifically about well, what happens if he was seeing a mistress. He's like, well, it doesn't matter because he's Muslim. So he can have up to four wives. It's allowed. Like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I think I, th- I think the thing about that was that the the affair might w- was was broken off. Was 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 what he, he received a phone call twenty minutes before the flight took off. Apparently, mm. well, the, the who, who phoned him? Well, that's it. A a mystery number. A mystery. A caller. mystery woman. I mean, I mean, you know, th- th- this was also on the on the on the sixty minutes documentary. Mm-hmm. I think. And it's like who who called him? Who bloody called him? I bet he was a woman. It's bloody bloody women's fault. It's what it is. So I was a bit Kiwi, that. <laughs> was a bit Kiwi. Bloody, bloody women. Bloody women. There's, all, there's always a woman to blame. Hey, we're phoning about <laughs> your avocados, uh, your avocado shipment. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, the phone call could have been about anything, couldn't it? Not necessarily indeed, yeah. a tryst, anything yeah. tryst related. Uh, yeah. we, women have other reasons to call men other than to arrange to have sex with them or break off relationships. <laughs> Even if I, I, I don't know if it's proven that it was a woman who phoned him. Yeah, it, it could have been anyone. Could have been his mate. Yeah, could have been his mate. Um, could have been a, uh, a car salesman. Yeah, interestingly, something else that could have affected his mood was that he was a uh, an avid supporter, and I think was it maybe related to, or was he just a good friend of? He was a friend of, yes, yeah, he was yeah. a friend he, of. This he, he was a friend individual. of a uh, an opposition leader in Malaysia who had been jailed on, on charges of sodomy, which mm-hmm. being gay, which obviously is not illegal here. We are lucky to. So was he? Live. Sorry, I, I got because I I didn't know this. Was he? Was he charged with sodomy or was he charged with like some sort of homosexual homosexual related offence? Because they're quite they're quite different. Are they? Well, yeah. So in in the US, for in certain US states, sodomy is still illegal to this day. Uh, so, what, so what is sodomy? How's that, how's that different? Well, sodomy is just any sexual activity that isn't for procreation. As in, like if you have oh. oral sex, that's classed as sodomy. If you have anal sex, that's classed as sodomy. So, like, it doesn't necessarily have to be with a man. It can also be with oh, a Oh, okay. I mean, I don't I see why that would get I... reported anyway. But, yeah, so it's not necessarily... Oh, I, I got the feeling that it was it was more about... Well, I mean, if you really... I mean, same, you know, same, same sex. Yeah. Sex. If you really want to shame somebody in an Islamic world, that would definitely be well, one way of it. If you want to quite, sort yeah. of, like, discredit so, their... Yeah, um, I mean the the charges are probably false anyway. There are there are also reports that uh, Captain Shah to, to bring us back back to back to the podcast. Yeah, there are also reports that Captain Shah had no social engagements after March the eighth. Oh, which, uh, so he hadn't got anything in the diary, or wasn't that like 
hit the playwood yeah. missing and then he didn't show up to any of his <laughs> appointments. He had all these appointments booked in. Didn't show up. What a co- yeah. coincidence. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, obviously it's it's the former. He, yeah. he, hadn't, he, hadn't, he didn't have anything in the diary is what's said, but it's also reported that he booked a dentist appointment. So, I mean, only one of those two things can be true. Either he didn't make any appointments or he did make appointments. Schrodinger's, right. well, you know, I don't know how dentistry works in Malaysia, but it's not great here, is it? Schrodinger's appointment. You do and do not have an appointment, sir. <laughs> Wonderful. Yeah. Thanks, guys. So he became, when he, when he became a suspect in the investigation, mm-hmm. the uh, Malaysian police seized his computer where he had uh, his own flight simulator. And there are a number of unsaved data points. Uh, so like m- most of his routes have been saved. So it was just flying from, from A to B. He had a YouTube channel where he, he talked about his flight, you know, he showed how his flight simulator works yep. and talked about aviation. He was you know, really passionate about it. However, weirdly, these these data points, basically there were two in the Southern Indian Ocean and then the other four were along kind of the Malaysian well, Peninsula. there was also some deleted data. So there's a lot yes, of deleted yes, this, data. This, which this, is, this is yeah. what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they, well, yeah, so it might have been deleted rather than unsaved. It, interestingly, when you if you put a line through all of these points, then it goes remarkably similar to what authorities thought the final flight path might have been at the time, mm-hmm. to the point where it actually influenced where they started looking for the plane. Now, the problem with this is that there's no way of knowing whether they were all from the same session. They might not have been. And all of these data points as well. So what you're trying they to... Were, they, they did end in, 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 in airports so, or, or, or on like small runways. So what you're trying to say, Matt, is that like it could have been like, well, look at how he's flying between all these all these different fly zones. So he's like, seems to be like deliberately sort of going between these fly zones. He, you could say that that was on the flight simulator, but then the next journey that sort of turns out into the Indian Ocean... That might not have been on. Yeah, that flight. might have been from a different session. Right, okay. Yeah. It might well be. I mean, it, it is it is a bit coincidental that the line through those through those data points does look very similar to, <laughs> well, yeah, but I don't to, but, to the supposed flight path of the plane. But 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 yeah, that, that does not mean that, yeah, but, that that was what he intended to yeah, do. Yeah, well think about it this way though, like if you if you've got a job, and even if you really love your job, so you really love your job, it's like the best thing ever. Like, would you then go, All right, I've finished work for the day, I've finished I've finished like an eight hour flight. Had an eight, eight to twelve hour flight today. Done that. Go home. What were you going to do? Ah, oh, just I just relax with an eight hour flight at home. Like you know, like, who actually does that? Like I can well believe well, that somebody like I think, I'll just I'll just I think, practice. This I think the idea bit. is that he skipped through it. Although I don't know what ev- evidence there is to suggest that he did that either. Yeah. After after investigating this, the Malaysian police then later said that they they couldn't find anything of interest within within the data. So they they published it. They looked at this data and said they couldn't find anything of interest. Which would suggest that they'd investigated it and decided that they they couldn't use that data to to assume anything about, but think, think about, about flight. Think about this way, right? Think about it this way. So you've you've had your opposition candidate like sent down to prison, possibly on false charges. Possibly that you know, as the government, you've possibly sort of had this happen on false charges. You've then caused somebody who knew that person to go insane and and kill himself and two hundred thirty nine people yeah there were, there were 237 people in total yeah 237 so, so yeah. yeah so it'd be 236 so 236 people. people takes 236 people with him you realize that you've done that and it's a massive outrage and problem you know maybe they didn't find the flight maybe that's it maybe they didn't find the flight but they did find that like he probably caused that would you actually announce that information you probably just go well ah. well i mean if, if that was the case why did they 
announce anything about the data points at all. Good point. Well, maybe maybe it's just a bluff. Maybe it's like, hey, we did find this out, but we don't know why. My well, my view of lying is that you always tell as much truth as you can do to get away with a lie. That's it. You, if you're going to lie, lie well. Yeah, yeah, that that is true. But then you don't you don't need to offer up bits of truth that you don't need to. It's it's, it's a bit like a, an Ian Huntley kind of thing. Ian Huntley was the uh, he was the Soham murderer. It was it was the yeah. Uh, but yeah, the the, re- the reason he got caught was he kept appearing in front of the cameras, trying trying to help with the uh, well, supposedly trying to help with the investigation, like to a weird extent where you know he kept getting himself so involved in it that the police that started looking into him, and that's how they they found out he'd done it. Mm-hmm. And you know he wouldn't have been on their radar if he hadn't done that. So I wonder, like similar thing, you don't need to start making things public if you want to hide some of that thing that you're going to make public. It probably won't help you. But maybe the Malaysian government were like, this will be a conspiracy theorist's wet dream for for years to come. Oh, and therefore, yeah. if we release some information, then people will just quibble about it. And then there'll be so many different points that nobody will know what the true actual truth ever is. I suspect MH370 is on the moon, like the, the star <laughs> announced. That's my... Just zapped into a black hole and just appeared on the moon. On the moon. I love that Everything stuff. except the flapper on. Yeah, and well, a, exactly. Yeah, the flapper on fell off. Bit of a casing of a, of a, a TV it's still, It's still my favourite thing. Like, there's a plane that's gone missing and the, the Daily Star just goes, it's on the moon. Here's a Photoshop photo picture <laughs> showing it there. Like, yeah. I mean, to, to, to give more credence to the theory that that Shah was in, intending to, to bring the plane down and kill everyone on it, including himself, mm-hmm. was that when the, the plane flew, after it had flown over the Malaysian Peninsula into the Strait of Malacca, it then made a, a, a slight right turn around the island of Penang. A British pilot named Simon Hardy claimed on the on this same Australian documentary that I'm probably referencing far too much, he claimed that uh, that looked to him like somebody looking down at Penang, uh, at the island of Penang, and that's where Captain Shah is from. So he might have been having a last look at his hometown, although it was the night and it was dark. So how much he'd have been able to see, who knows? But again, curious that the plane did that because it makes it look like somebody was looking at that island, which Captain Shah would have had a reason to do. So one final salute to the place of his birth before uh, yeah, yeah. heading off into the sunset. Yeah, the, the there is another possibility that he didn't actually intend to commit suicide. It is possible that he was trying to fly in a kind of arc outside of radar area. Right. And without doing too significant of a turn to be noticed okay. by the Inmarsat data. And he was trying to fly to Christmas Island and then would, you know, announce, once he'd landed there, then announce his demands. Or when he was going to land there, announce his demands. So just But Christmas- ran out of fuel before. So Christmas Island's just north of Australia. Basically. And does it have like, that's not the one with the heads on it? No, no, that's that's Easter Island. So it is, is Christmas, Christmas Island is the one with the with 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 the crabs that like they have this migration and they 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 are they're like bioluminescent. Do they have statues of bums sticking out the ground. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> lovely. Such so, a lovely image. Stone so, bums. I mean, again, so you Chris, think he was a crab fanatic? <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, he might have been. Say, say, you know, he, this was in protest against the opposition leader being jailed. It might have been a case of right. I'm going to hijack this flight. My demands for the safe return of everyone on board will be to uh, this th- this guy must be freed and he was trying to fly to Christmas Island to do that how far away is Christmas Island from Malaysia though it's close enough that he probably thought he could get there if you give me a moment dear listener I'm just going to uh, I mean, Chris- take my Chris- phone Chris- off Christmas Island mode. is is basically in between 
uh, it's it's to the north of Australia and to the south of Indonesia. So it's yeah, kind of kind of off the northwest uh, coast of Australia. Mm-hmm. So I mean, he 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 could have got there by sort of flying in a big old arc and then tried to land on Christmas Island, but he could have it, like it's just about on the limits of where he could have reached. So the the plane could have run out of fuel at that time and it could have landed there and it hasn't people haven't searched for the plane in that location so that would also make sense as to why the flap run was in one piece mm-hmm. because he'd have probably been trying to when the plane ran out of fuel he'd have been trying to glide it to get to Christmas Island but yeah found that he'd done his calculations wrong or you know it was just too far away sadly Google Maps won't allow me to see the distance between the two because it says it can't work out a route for me to walk between Kuala Lumpur <laughs> Airport and uh, well, Christmas Island it says it's not possible unless you're Jesus unless you're Jesus just, it's not going to be possible the thing about that though is like it's not the most direct way of going there but it's it, the, the, the the route that was supposed this but it is a way of going there where he wouldn't have been do you, seen on radar do you think that's likely though do you think that's likely I don't know. Well, because <laughs> when you think about it, like he's an experienced pilot. There's about eight hours worth of fuel on this plane yeah. and he's flying he probably, around he eight knows, hours. Yeah. It seems like a bit of a risky maneuver for someone just wanting to make a political statement. Well, indeed. For a then, man you who... Know, but then but then his friend had been jailed yeah, a I know, few was, hours before. Yeah. It's, it's it's not like he had a load of time to prepare for this if, if that was the reason. Yeah, but you just fly it to, to my mind, you just fly it to, I don't know, Diego Marcia or... Garcia. Diego Garcia even. Or you fly there, you fly to Diego Garcia, or you fly to somewhere closer. Like you, you, you take it to Hanoi Airport instead of yeah. instead of Beijing and you go, why well, are you landing in Vietnam? I'm making a protest. Yeah, yeah, that that is true. Yeah, what why not land at any other airports? Why why go through this whole smoke and mirrors thing? You first, could literally yeah. you could literally just land it anywhere yeah. and you could I mean, go. He could have after locking the co pilot out, he could have just said, Hi Ho Chi Minh City Airport. Uh, I'm sorry. Hi ho, Chi Minh City Air Traffic Control. Hi ho. This is this this is. <laughs> Hi ho. Um, Hi ho, Ho Chi Minh. This is this is Malay- Malaysian Airlines 370. I'm hijacking the plane, and I will you know I will land it safely once uh, Anwar Ibrahim has been released. Yeah, that's that's a much better way than doing yeah. it. We're going dark. Yeah. Like if you're gonna, yeah, this is the thing. So this is the reason why they don't think it might be hijackers either. Because if you're gonna do something, you want to make. If you're gonna make a political statement, you make a political statement. This is why terrorists might not be likely as well. Because it's like, well, if you're gonna do something, you want to claim responsibility for it. Nobody came forward to say they well, didn't. Well, so exactly, exactly. I mean, I, I suppose the the only reason would be that if whoever was flying the plane wanted to make their point after landing it, but crashed the plane and died and was never able to make their point. It just doesn't sound but, like a sensible yeah. strategy, though, does it? No, like, no, no. Yeah, well. Yeah, precisely. Yeah, like why, why waste time prattling about and potentially crashing the plane when you could submit your demands earlier on? Yeah, yeah. You could li- he could have literally submitted his demands at one twenty one when it went dark. Could have just been like, "These are my mm. demands, mate." What time did the flight take off again? Was it um, twenty? It to- was cleared for takeoff at forty six minutes past midnight. Clear, cleared for takeoff at forty two minutes past midnight, mm-hmm. and. At one twenty-two, it disappeared from yeah. radar screens. So exactly, so around one twenty-one, that surely would be the point where you're like, "Oh, I've got demands." Yeah. And if you don't give me those demands, you're not getting the plane back. Click. Yeah. Or slightly. Well, I suppose the thing is, at that point, they would still know where the plane was. So maybe he was intending to fly, so they didn't know where he was anymore before making his demands. So they couldn't just go. Oh, actually, we can get the plane back. I think you'll find. Yeah. But like you said, it's not. Particularly likely. I mean, if we use the Occam's razor thing, there are so many assumptions that you have to make about about that that it makes that theory unlikely. It is it is more likely that it was a a suicide attempt, and he just wanted to fly the plane somewhere where it couldn't be found, 
Although the one thing I find difficult with that, though, is that there's killing yourself because you're depressed and there's doing something as dramatic and narcissistic as flying a whole plane full of people out into the middle of nowhere in Kraskets and no one can find it. So I find it very odd that if he was going to do something so narcissistic, he wouldn't want people to know that he'd done it. Yeah, I mean, it's it's, it's quite, yeah, because it's, it's a horrible thing to have happen. Like, you taking yeah. 237, six other people with you. Yeah, yeah, it's quite. It's dreadful because, like, obviously that's that's not just their lives ruined, but it's all their families who yeah. don't know what's happened. And, you know, it's a dreadful thing to sort of happen. The mystery in and of itself, just these people going missing is awful. But to think yeah. that... The pilot did it because he was pissed off about something. He was like, "I'm gonna, I'm gonna yeah, do this." Yeah. yeah, that's 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 not why people commit suicide. And I, it is. I think, I think the other thing yeah. with with that as well, like the the German wings flight. I think there was only like ten minutes, maybe less, between that pilot locking the locking the cockpit door. Sorry, the co-pilot locking the cockpit door and the plane crashing. Because he was just like, right, I'm just going to crash it into some mountains. Here we go. So, well, this is another point. Uh, this is and another. So, like, like to to have Captain Shah flying the plane for another hours. seven hours. Yeah. It's like that's again, that's not the kind of thing that suicidal people tend to do. It's like, why would you make it last so long? Well, it's, well, it's really an strange. interesting point as well because I know that the doors to cockpits now have been reinforced, but just because they're reinforced doesn't mean that you can't break into it. It's not completely. Like, it's, you could keep people locked out for a certain length of time, but over an eight-hour period, I'm sure that people chip banging away at the door would eventually get in. It's not completely mm, yeah. impossible. Well, I mean, he, he could have depressurized the the cabin. He could have depressurized the cabin. I mean, that is a possibility. So let's, let's talk about mobile phones, because this was something that came up a bit. I'll put my phone back on uh, flight mode, actually. That's a good idea. <laughs> back in airplane mode for the podcast about airplanes. Indeed. So there were two things about mobile phones. Firstly, there was the idea that the co-pilot, Farik Abdul Hamid, that he made a phone call after the plane had gone missing. That's not actually true. Uh, it registered with a, a mobile phone terminal somewhere. So, you know, if, if he left his phone on a, on a seat or something in the cockpit, it just, you know, it, it flew into somewhere that had a bit of phone signal and just logged on with the terminal to say, hello, I'm here. That that was probably all that was. So that doesn't really mean anything. Where but would you... Pe- um, pe- people have said that he made a phone call or he sent a text or something, which is not true. I mean, it must be quite hard to get a signal at 30,000 feet. Yeah, but I mean, it can happen. Yeah, well, it's just, it's interesting because having traveled around Southeast Asia, one of the things that I found is every time you landed somewhere new, you had to buy a new SIM card because your old SIM yeah. card wouldn't pick up any signal and it wouldn't... Well, yeah, I mean, you, you wouldn't necessarily be able to do anything with your phone. It would just ping off a, ta- yeah, yeah, well, yeah. a tower yeah. or a satellite. And that's, or that's probably what happened. It was just it was just thing right. saying, hello, I'm here. I'm, I'm an operating system on a phone that wants to log into your network and the network just, you know, could have said, well, you can't because you've got the wrong SIM card or whatever. But yeah, it's it's that ping. Of How dare saying, you? Yeah. How dare you try and make a phone call from our tower? <laughs> like you, mm. you were not clear. Now to phone. there's also people tried calling, tried calling their relatives who were on the plane, mm-hmm. uh, and they did receive what called ringbacks. So that's that's when you call a number and it doesn't go straight to voicemail. It, it, it rings for a bit before going to voicemail, yep. which makes it seem like there's a phone on the other end that can be answered. So, but, so, I mean, it was already in the air, so that also means that maybe people had been taking their phones off of airplane mode to actually uh, be in touch. Because if you, if you mm. phone one, the phone's in airplane mode like mine, if you tried to phone me now, it'd just go straight to voicemail. There wouldn't yeah, be any. Yeah, yeah. The fact that no passengers made an attempt to contact anyone outside is very curious because it... it means that either they didn't know what was happening or they were incapacitated. And with, with the severity of the turn, you'd have thought... 
maybe some people would have been confused, especially if the co-pilot had been locked out and was banging on the door. You'd probably, at that point, go, I should call my family and let them know what's happening. Yes. Uh, so no, nobody did that. So that, that's really strange. The, the whole thing with ringbacks is that actually even if your phone's off or on, on flight mode. Right. When, when you call another mobile phone, you're not actually directly calling the phone. You're calling um, a terminal or a satellite first. Mm-hmm. And then the information gets pinged around until it then requests the the phone you're calling at the other end to send the information back. Now, because that can be quite a long process, I mean, you know, a few seconds, yep. but that's that's quite long for machines. Because it can be that amount of time before that, that happens, yep. your phone could start doing the dial tone noise. Ah, before before it actually knows about the information because it's just saying hold on we're doing it we're we're making the connections we'll get back to you in a second okay so that is that happens often enough that there is absolutely no proof that, that anyone's phones were able to receive calls so matthew do you, do you think that it's likely that it was like a, a suicide attempt i think all the other explanations just have too many too many reasons you know, there's, there's 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 too much kind of gymnastics with with all the other reasons to make them fit. And I think with the pilot suicide, uh, the pilot murder suicide thing, you don't have to stretch it about as much to make it fit things like it suits the information that we have, rather than trying to interpret the information that we have to make it suit something. Now, that's we don't have enough information to say definitively it is that. Mm-hmm. There's so much more information we could do with. And yeah, there are a number of strange things. It's like, why did nobody on the plane seem to react? Like, they they, they have phones and stuff in, in, the, in their cabin outside of the cockpit. So why did none of the crew try to contact uh, air traffic control and request help? That was something they could have done. They didn't. Why, why did these things happen? Why did this plane fly out to not be found. What Maybe is the they put tranquilizers in the food and the booze. Possible. I mean, I think that's, that's the kind of thing that would be quite hard to organise. Not for a, not for a government who wants to oh, well, distract from yeah. things. The Russians who want to distract from their little war in Crimea <coughs> and yeah. Ukraine. I mean, that's that's kind of why I wanted to cover the uh, MH370 is because, like, if we use Occam's razor, the, the theory with with the least amount of uh, assumptions is usually the correct one. The least amount of assumptions are the maddest ideas. Mm-hmm. So you know, yeah, it's it's like, oh yeah, it was all being controlled by Russia, or you know, it was it was aliens, or or it was a black hole. Like these things. The thing that I hate when I'm when when discussing unsolved mysteries is uh, like just saying God did it or aliens did it or or something like that because it's it's a very easy way to just it's take something away from from scientific ways of de- trying to determine what what happens so yeah you can always you can never disprove god you can never disprove aliens because the only way to know if there's aliens or, or god or whatever or not is if they come out and show themselves um if it's something more powerful than us anyway so i don't like exploring that as a theory to anything because we can't put any sort of proof in it and i think bad theories are ones that that you can't discredit so I think these these sort of catch-all theories, just like, well, you know, it was some sort of divine intervention, whether from a deity or from aliens or from a government that are a lot more powerful than than we the people realise. Uh, it's 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 a crap theory. If if I mean I get if, that, but if, like, if you do that because there's, there's nothing nothing you can do. I think there's but, something suspicious about the government though. I think yeah, oh, the yeah, fact yeah, the yeah. government, the military, the fact that the military just allowed this plane to yeah. fly over their radar tower directly over their radar, mm. well, and then quite, just glide yeah. out to sea without. And that, Making that, any... Yeah, yeah, that that is very interesting. That as well. 
So, so this is it. I have a real dilemma with 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 this particular case. Is is what I'm saying because all of the more scientifically provable theories have so many holes in them that it's difficult to say that any of them really fit. So it's just like, well, there might well be some sort of conspiracy or some something otherworldly about this. Well, the defense minister, the defense minister, in that sixty minutes interview that you see, he's so he gets interviewed. And he's like, well, we wouldn't have shot it down. And it's like, what do you no, mean? Nobody said anything about shooting yeah, it down. Nobody said anything about shooting it down. Why would you say that? It's like, well, the Americans could shoot it down. Like, what? <laughs> it looks really weird. It's like, why are you bringing up that information? Like, <laughs> So, yeah, to, to get us back towards the conspiracy theories, because I think this will be quite a nice place to end, yep. is a, a chap called Blaine Gibson, mm-hmm. who had absolutely nothing at the time to do with the crash or disappearance. He is an American lawyer who has made it his mission to visit every country in the world. This, this, this man, he found about a third of all of the pieces of wreckage that we've got from MH370 mm-hmm. today. So he found, what do you mean he found them? I mean, he literally went to the beaches and combed the beaches and found them. So he found the, he found the flapper on, on Reunion Island. So how did that end no, up? No, no, he, I don't think he found the flapper on. Right, okay. He, he found other pieces of, of the plane. Right, okay. Basically... Because he knew about like um, uh, tides and currents and 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 the kind of the so debris, he's, a the, the, he's a lawyer that knows the about tides and currents. I think he's, just, he's just really interested in geography. And is, he, is he a surfer? Like, uh, I, I am the surfing I lawyer. I don't know. But he he knew a lot about these things. Okay. and so he was he was one of the first people to start saying, "Well, we should look uh, in Eastern Africa and mm-hmm. and the the islands in in the in, in the Western Indian Ocean, Madagascar for these yeah exactly for for these parts. And so we went to do that. I think the the countries that he visited were like 170 something on his list. Mm-hmm. Now, how many so countries there are in the at, world? Well, is, so while he was on a backpacking jolly, he was also combing beaches for no 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 he wasn't he, like no he he deliberately went to comb the beaches for de, for debris. Okay. I think. I don't know where he was when MH370 crashed. He then, I think he he met a number of the uh, people who whose, whose family had been on the plane. So he might have been in Australia actually, right. because I think I think he developed quite a close friendship with one of the the Australian uh, one of, uh, one of the families of one of the Australian passengers on board. He then sort of decided to well, he, he wanted to go and visit some of these countries anyway, and he thought they were the most likely place to look for debris. So he he just flew off there. Uh, himself to go to go and look for it and go and find it and to what try would and it be bring, like bring to have closure. a lawyer's wage where you could just go I'm just well, going to fly yeah, off there and yeah. go and do an investigation indeed yeah he's, he's, he's clearly not a poor man the reason I'm bringing him up now uh-huh. at the end I mean he seems like a super nice and interesting guy um, well yeah if he's going to go out of his way to yeah. try and solve a mystery for families like, I'm, I'm all on board yeah, for yeah. it so the reason the reason I'm bringing, bringing this up at the end okay. is that he has said that he's been receiving death threats on his phone so he's like to the point of paranoia where you know he swaps out his SIM cards everywhere he goes to avoid being tracked, like you know he keeps his plans as private as possible. He'll move at random. He'll go to places at random so that people can't create a pattern and think about where he's going to go next. So, so say he wanted to go from, say he was in England, he wanted to go from Manchester to London, and he wanted to stay overnight in Birmingham. Then we could go. Oh, he's probably going to head to London the next day because that's the direction he's heading in. Mm-hmm. Like what he would do is he'd probably go to Belfast and then he'd go to Brussels and then he'd go to Glasgow, and then he'd go Again, to Newcastle. Not a poor man. <laughs> yeah, yeah, quite. Yeah, but that, that that's the kind of thing he's doing. He's just going to a lot of random places between A and B. He's a seriously paranoid guy now because he's been receiving death threats. Uh, I mean, you know, seeing as he is going out of his way to try and help out the families, I don't think he's making it up for publicity. 
whether whether these death threats are genuine or not, whether they're coming from the Malaysian government or just from losers or lunatics who who think this is funny. Mm-hmm. I don't know. And he doesn't either. But I mean, he's taking them seriously, clearly. And again, yeah, if, if it's the Malaysian government who are looking pretty shady throughout all of this, who are giving him death threats, it's the question is, why? You know, it, it might be as simple as just they didn't want to admit their airline had a pilot who, who could do something like crash a plane and kill over 200 people. It is pretty shameful. Well, it's quite a PR disaster, really, isn't yeah, it? That yeah, yeah. So you've had a flight be, that someone's been that able up. to cut, shut off all the safety features of the plane and then yeah. just do whatever. And especially if, if they were some, somehow able to find out that it was about the treatment of um, Anwar Ibrahim, the, the opposition leader. Well, that's that, again, that's, that's, that's bad press. Yeah. But it is bad press. But I mean, even if it's even if it's just the uh, the company, if it's just a corporate thing, when you think about all the, the mistakes yeah. made by the corporation themselves, so like the, the ground staff, you had like Ho Chi Minh City and uh, Kuala Lumpur Airport, and they just weren't communicating with one another. It's yeah. like, well, actually, the, um, the thing is, this this isn't uh, Kuala Lumpur Airport's fault. They, they they actually pretty much did everything right that they could have done. It was Ho Chi Minh City noticed the plane had gone missing. They they took far too long to tell Kuala Lumpur what had happened. They should have told them after five minutes and they waited 18, I think. Terrifying. I've, fr- um, I've flown out of the, I've flown out of the airport. So. Yeah. Yeah, so they, they should let them know. Much, and and the, the other thing was the uh, the Malaysian military mm-hmm. with their, their radar. Yeah, their radar. And they didn't tell anyone who was looking for the plane in time. Bye-bye. Yeah, I'm waving, folks. Yeah, sorry. I keep forgetting yeah. that you can't see me. I'm waving into uh, uh, Matthew. Bye-bye. Yeah. Waving at the plane as it goes by. Yeah. So, yeah, it's Kuala Lumpur Airport and air traffic control. They, they didn't really do anything wrong. They they did the best with, with what they were given. I mean, they, they, they did screw up the thing with the flight plans. Mm-hmm. They thought MH370 was airborne somewhere, and then they realized they were looking at the flight plan rather than where it actually was. Yeah. So they, they, confu- they ended up confusing the matter. But, yeah, because everyone else had been so lax in contacting them and getting in touch with them, uh, it, it, sorry, giving them the information that they needed, um, we could probably forgive them for, for doing that because there, there was just a lot of confusion because everything was done so poorly. So I think Kuala Lumpur Air, Air Traffic Control, I do feel kind of sorry for them because I think they're probably the least to blame out of all of this. Okay. Sorry, Kuala Lumpur Airport ground staff. You did a good job. And I'm so yeah. I mean, I think I think the idea that Kuala Lumpur air traffic control were working with Ho, Ho Chi Minh City air traffic control and the Malaysian military and the Malaysian government all to create a conspiracy theory is unlikely. However, you know, it it, it could be something that the Malaysian government know far more. Well, it, it seems that they probably do know more than they're letting on. Well, yeah. I mean, if your government says to you, "I'm going to tell you to jump." You yeah. normally say how, how high. high, yeah, you know. So, yeah. especially a government like in like in Malaysia. Yeah, so exactly. So yeah. it's it's one of those things that you know, in in a lot of places, if you've got quite an authoritarian government or dodgy officials, powerful people telling you to do stuff, it's quite intimidating, and you probably just go along with it anyway because life is good and people like breathing. So you know. We, well, we, we can't say for certain. We, we can't really say at all what well, happened talk- to this plane. We have absolutely no idea. Tourism's the biggest industry in the world so the tourism yeah. is the biggest industry in the world so any tourist related tragedy is taken very seriously by most nations because obviously you don't want to lose business you don't want people to stop coming because it's m- a massive boost to the local economies of wherever they're going and Quite, things like that yeah. it's something that yeah yeah so the the malaysian government and malaysian airlines trying to keep that under their hat after the fact 
does kind of yeah seem it, can, it makes sense yeah. i mean yeah, these it, people it makes, have got a lot it's horrible but it makes sense millions yeah. of pounds dollars whatever your local currency is mm. like I mean, riding well, on it check out blaine gibson with his lawyer's salary flying all over the world yeah to just to sort of, piece of the blame yeah. and getting death threats possibly yeah. from the malaysian tourist board yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's uh, yeah they, they want to attract people like that and not for the reasons of looking for parts of planes yeah so i think throughout discussing all of this we've sort of come to not necessarily a consensus, but we kind of got towards the area of what might have happened and why there's so much kind of obfuscation about this disaster. But yeah, until we basically, until we find the plane, who knows? Like we, we can't really say what was going on. I think, I think that's the thing, even you though we can, we, we can, we can get towards the what and the, and the who and the where and the when, you sound like a we're never, call, we're never you, gonna know the why. You sound like a call center. You sound like you sound like I'm phoning Malaysian Airlines, like call center <laughs> staff, and I'm like, "Hey, there's a problem with my flight. Where is it?" And you just go, "Well, sir, I don't know that information. Yeah. It could have been any number of things that could have caused this. I can't tell you where your luggage is." I'll, say, I'll, 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 I'll put it together in a more succinct way. So, yeah, we've we've sort of managed to get towards a lot of the points into the vague area of what, what we think might have happened to this plane. But I think the, the one that still is really obscure is why. Why? You know, yeah. if, if if it was Captain Shaw or if it was remotely hijacked or whatever, why was this done? Why did this plane disappear? And until we find it, nobody knows. But how there seems to be systemic failures on the part mm. of uh, various organisations. Yeah. I mean, the, the reason that I've brought up so many uh, uh, legacy air disasters is because with all of these, like air travelers got safer afterwards because an investigation has been done and they've understood the reasons for why it happened and then, you know, put things in place to stop that happening on future flights. But again, without being able to find MH370 and understanding what happened to it and why it went down, that just can't well, be done. With many this aviation way. experts have said it's, it's really terrible. Yeah, it's terrible yeah. this flight hasn't been found because it's a mystery. And in aviation, we don't want mysteries. We want to know certainties what's happened so we can correct any errors that might occur i mean although uh, hopefully hopefully like communication between mm. between at least just between kuala lumpur airport and ho chi minh airport air traffic control i hope yeah. that those two things have neatened up yeah i think i think there might well have been an effort to uh improve that since since this disaster i mean that, that was one of the things that they 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 actually improved after the the air france crash was because there was this huge zone they were flying over of the Atlantic Ocean where they weren't in touch with anyone. There's now things put in place where the pilots have to get in touch when they're out of like normal radar zones mm-hmm. with with air traffic controllers somewhere at some time, so that if if there's a problem, people know a lot quicker. People on the ground know a lot quicker, so they can try and help. And and I think again with 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 MH370, that's a similar thing's been kind of put in. It's just like when when somebody is supposed to sign over you try and find out straight away why they haven't done it rather than going, oh, they're probably just a bit delayed for some reason, which seems to be the case with Ho Chi Minh. They just sort of like hoped that the problem would go away. Yeah. And not the plane. And they got, got it the wrong way around. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm glad I'm glad to hear that because I do want to see the Petronas Tower in Malaysia at some point in my life. So uh, yeah. have you not, I've, I thought you'd been to Malaysia. Uh, you? I've been to the airport. Oh, right. So that's why I think it's, it's probably quite depressing to think that the last hours of those poor people's lives were spent buying overpriced food in the, <laughs> on the food court in Kuala yeah. Lumpur Airport. Because I've been there and I, I've done that. I've bought overpriced food. How was, how was it as airports go? It's okay. I slept on the floor because there was nowhere else to sleep. So I uh, put my backpack behind my head and had a, a kip. Uh, they've got big old TV screens so you can watch movies. They've got like a, a movie sort of lounge. Uh, there's cool. lots of Wi-Fi docks and things like that. So you can plug your phone in and charge your phone and your laptop and 
So I mean, could you could you not see the Petronas Towers from? Because I mean, they're they're pretty tall. I mean, I, I, you would you wouldn't put them near the airport uh, so for, you, for obvious reasons. But I mean, I'd, I'd if thought... you could do that, <laughs> I didn't see them, and I, if oh, if that's okay. possible, I'll feel a bit sad because obviously I'm in Manchester, England, not in, <laughs> anywhere near Malaysia. Yeah. Definitely can't see the Petronas well, I mean, Towers. From yeah, well, I, I mean, it's like if if you go up to Alderley Edge or something like, you can see Beetham Tower, which is the tallest building in in, in Manchester. You can you, you can see that from because like the rest of our buildings are quite squat, and that there's this huge stick in the middle mm-hmm. of it. Uh, and, that, and that's Beetham Tower and like the Petronas Towers I think for a while they were the tallest building in the world weren't yeah. they um, so yeah they, they are huge but yeah so I guess the other thing is that when you're in an airport you don't really want to be going all around the airport because airports are massive and you don't want to get lost uh, yeah that's true yeah. especially when you're trying to get a connection to somewhere else which is what I was doing so yeah I, I was to be, to be fair I was thinking more about you know after the plane had taken off looking out the windows yeah all I could see all I could see in the air because I had a day flight all I could see in the air was um palm tree groves because oh. where, where they grow for palm oil so like, i thought it was uh, a jungle but it's actually just r- miles and miles and oh, rows really? and rows of uh palm oil trees fair enough well hopefully you will be able to see the patronus towers one day and hopefully we'll find out what the mystery of uh mh370 actually which of those is. things will happen first mm. get your bets in now i mean i, I hope it's 370 gets yeah sort of a conclusion people deserve to, to know well quite yeah but yeah, I mean, I, I I don't know if anyone's actively looking for the plane at the moment, so I don't. Uh, really... That lawyer is. <laughs> well, I mean, he's he's looking for pieces of it. I mean, he's he's not trying. I mean, really, we need the the black boxes, the the cockpit voice recorder, and the the flight data recorder mm-hmm. to be able to determine what exactly was going on. And even then, I mean, I suppose it's it's unlikely that the pilot was narrating what he was doing as he brought the plane down. If if indeed that's what happened, so we still might not understand the reasons. For well, it was it, a but... YouTuber, so I'm guessing he's good at multitasking. Yeah. Well, no, I'm not saying he's not good at multitask. I'm saying he probably didn't want to. Yeah. Like the, the, the German wings pilot, he didn't say anything after after he locked the captain out of the pilot, mm-hmm. uh, out of the cockpit, <laughs> out of the pilot, <laughs> locked the pilot out of himself. I was going to say, that's all we've got time for. But I mean, we, we, we have time to kill, but that's all I want to talk about MH370 because this is the second time we've done it. Uh, and I think we've done it to death now. So we'll be back in two weeks when we talk about the the pusher, a, a Manchester legend, not, not, and I, and I don't mean legend a in a good legend. sense. <laughs> He's a fucking legend. Then. No, a, a, a sort of an urban legend. An, ur- yes, an, an urban, urban legend, legend of Manchester. And a theory that, that there might well be an unknown serial killer or uh, killers out in Manchester. Yeah, pushing people in our waterways. Yeah, in our waterways. So yeah, that's home for AJ and I. So that will be uh, interesting for us to talk about for that reason. Yes. And we will see you then. Bye-bye. Bye-bye, folks. Thank you.